Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Duprada. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community, as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are their stories. Greg Miller is a visionary educational leader with a strong desire to transform learning. Since May 2016, he's been the principal leader of St Luke's Catholic College in Marsden Park in Sydney, an institution that's establishing the new normal for preschool to post-school learning by combining five educational services, preschool, primary, secondary, out-of-hours school care and a high school needs hub. It sounds exhausting, it sounds exciting, it sounds exhilarating. Let's go. Well, it's really great to be with you again, Phil, and thank you very much for joining us, Greg, on uh, the Game Changers podcast. Well, what an exhausting intro that was. Uh, you're clearly running a, a pretty special ecosystem out there in, in uh, Marsden Park of, of New South Wales. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your own stories before we get into the actual St. Luke's and, and, and their remarkable journey? But tell us a little bit about your own story and how you've gotten to where you are today, Greg. Uh, yeah, sure. And uh, thanks for the invitation and thanks for the, uh, the conversation that's about to come along. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, oh, look, my own back channel story is uh, it's this year's 32 years of teaching, uh, taught across uh, boys only education schools and also co-educational schools, uh, both within the Sydney metropolitan region and uh, regional New South Wales. And that has got me to where I am today. Uh, probably a pivotal point for me, I'd say, in all of that journey has been, uh, was back in around 2007 when uh, Kevin Rudd came to power and, and not long after introduced the toolbox of the 21st century. And from there, that's set off a, an exponential learning path for me uh, in trying to work out how this new reality uh, of, of education is to meld in with the rapidly changing world in which we find ourselves here in 2020. Recently, the World Economic Forum published an article around how the coronavirus pandemic has changed how millions around the globe are currently being educated. For all educators and systems are now being pushed to change in a very different way that is totally foreign to them. So, Greg, my, my question to you is this, and it's a simple one, and that is, could this lead to a surprising innovation in schooling post the pandemic? The very simple answer to that simple question is yes. And uh, the reason is because we've had to change. Um, and because we've had seen a whole school movement across the world now of transitioning to an online environment that's been around really for 10, 15, 20 years. A lot of the technologies that are being used right now have been around for quite some time. Uh, but it's taken a very unfortunate and, and global health crisis to push us down this path. And quite a few positive outcomes that can assist us to respond to a new normal in education, which may have been forced upon us, but um, it is necessary. Let's talk about that new normal a little bit, uh, Greg. What, what, what do you think the new normal might be? 
Uh, basically, well, where, where do you start? Well, certainly, I suppose, even though we're only a week into the significant shift in practice that we're already witnessing, is that balance of um, synchronous and asynchronous learning that is already filling the conversation points with teachers here and the reflection of that in a timetable that looks very different to a very static weekly or fortnightly timetable. Um, and th that's just the immediate of what's pressing at the forefront of our experience right at this point in time. But, but the new normal to me, uh, and, I'll, and I'll maybe be a little bit New South Wales centric here, is a drastic reduction in the core body of knowledge that's necessary for a, uh, any young person to responsibly, actively uh, act and contribute towards mainstream society. So uh, I'm an English teacher by trade. I love my Shakespeare, but really how much of that needs to be taught to students to be able to function effectively in today's main world? How much of math, science uh, as the core body of knowledge is required to function in the mainstream world? And that, that over time, once that core body of knowledge is achieved, that students um, start really amping up the possibilities of self-selecting, self-directing, self-pacing their learning. That sees them uh, know very best of who they are, what they can do, and what problems they can solve in this rapidly changing world. And that means a far greater focus on the explicit teaching, assessing, and tracking of general capabilities so that they can translate into an online folio of evidence that actually reflects their skills and capabilities required for changing world. We'll get into some questions a bit later on, Greg, around um, capability skills and why they are the priority uh, moving forward, uh, particularly around uh, a current movement to, uh, to uh, eradicate the, the ATAR as well. But I just want to be devil's advocate here a little bit. I will invite you in a moment to talk about the personalised learning process and the meaningful kind of project-based learning that's happening at St Luke's. But what do we, what do you say to those individuals who who continue to be the naysayers in this space and say to people like you and to people like me, they say, how can students come up with their own compelling questions, create their own authentic products if they don't know enough about a topic to ask or create something rich and meaningful? Well, content's still important. So it's about balancing the necessary beginning points of content that get them to ask those questions so that, uh, you know, and, a, and an overarching question balanced with uh, necessary input of content and concepts can be the beginning point. So they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, it's just that we don't see content as a vehicle to study for a test. Content is a vehicle to um, shore up knowledge for us to ascertain from students what they already know and what they need to know to go on a deeper immersion or investigation around an inquiry about uh, well, around you know an inquiry that can actually help them develop those skills and not just uh, engage with content to learn it for an exam or for a test. So that's that's my response. They're not mutually exclusive, and in fact, any good inquiry project-based learning needs an essential level of content as part of its beginning points when exploring those areas. Yeah, I, I like to to think of it uh, in a way that basic kind of content and, and skill knowledge is, is important to, to develop a basic understanding of things, but the key element for us is that 
And we've always introduced students to new material all the time anyway. But the key element is what you're sharing here is it's got to be purposeful and it's got to have some type of then real application to be transferable going forward. So can you then talk a little bit about the work that's happening now at St. Luke's in relation to two key elements? The first, of course, is the role of personalised learning that's going on in, in your learning community. And the second question to that or component to that is if you could share with our listeners a little bit about the meaningful project-based learning uh, pedagogical approach that's also occurring at St. Luke's. Well, gee, where do I start? In, in relation to... So project-based learning... Um, is one aspect of inquiry. It's certainly, uh, as a system in Catholic education, Diocese Parramatta, of which St Luke's is a part of, project-based learning is seen as the, the primary vehicle of developing uh, teacher pedago uh, pedagogies for teachers to implement in their classroom, which uh, provides an even balance of teacher direct instruction with students' abilities to pose questions and to also navigate pathways within a directed curriculum. So, uh, what we do at different times is we will introduce uh, topics with a general question uh, that's an overarching, um, uh, I suppose, a, 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 a sets the parameters of the learning that we're looking at doing that has to be mapped to a curriculum. And then within that, leave enough wriggle room for students to um, engage with some beginning content or an entry event that will get them to pose questions and make inquiries around the overarching question. And hence, coming back to what I said before, those need to know. So that's our general approach. And um, certainly we have roles, you know, our assistant principal and pedagogical leaders drive that development. And it sees us come up with fairly um, strict parameters around teachers of not talking for any longer than, say, 10 to 15 minutes so that we step back and let the students involve themselves and go into sometimes for them a learning pit where they do struggle and they do have to not be as dependent on the teacher to direct them towards a one-size-fits-all answer for a test that they'll probably never engage with again as a part of their learning. So that's that's part of the the, the inquiry approach using you know principles of project-based learning that ultimately culminates with um, uh, hurdle points or check-in times where there's formative feedback from teachers to students about where they could improve. There's peer critiques and peer, not so much peer assessment here at St Luke's, but certainly peer feedback. And that culminates towards an end product or a solution to a problem that is critiqued by peers and got feedback from teachers, uh, not just at the end of the project, but as they do the project. Um, in, in relation to the personalised aspect of things, certainly, you know, we have a mantra here at St Luke's as we say, yes, we can. So um, in demonstrating their understanding and knowledge, we don't say that there's one way to demonstrate that. So quite often uh, and quite regularly, certainly as the students get older and can do this, they're offered the choice uh, to demonstrate their learning in ways that might be different to the normal. So yes, we need to be able to uh, understand and assess student writing, but it may not be that they always have to write a response to demonstrate their learning. So it could be to produce a video, which requires a script for them to read from to develop that video, but they enhance their demonstration of understanding through using you know, other effect video effects and um, to create a more powerful message or to create a more sophisticated product. So that's where the choice comes in. And certainly uh, 
probably our greatest level of choice at St Luke's is, is the course we call life design. So we actually maintain minimum indicative hours for all subject areas commencing from year seven onwards here at St Luke's. And what that actually sees is um, us bringing in life coaches to unpack aspects of who I am and what I can do. So using um, a strengths-based approach to identify talents of students so that they can speak about themselves in ways that wouldn't be as usual. So for example, they might be able to say, and all our teachers do this, and I'll reference myself, uh, you know, my strengths are that I'm a strategic thinker uh, who takes responsibility and who's self-assured in the work that I do. But overall, my number one attribute, thankfully, is that I'm a learner. And, that I'm, uh, and, and what we talk with students about is identifying how those talents can have greatest impact to help contribute to a better world. And, and that sees students like just as early as today, I was checking in small group projects where they're coming up with plans to engage and make a better world. Uh, one of those is, um, and it's really challenging at the moment with our current situation, but one of those is to be raising money uh, which won't be now during our Lenten period in a Catholic setting. We're now looking at raising money in term two that could contribute towards a project overseas. Now, that's coming from year nine students because they're using their talents to have an impact on the world. You know, but we, we need the experts in to help us with that. So we have life coaches come in twice a week to work with teachers to help design a new curriculum called Life Design. Uh, we talk about their strengths, interests, and motivations. So to be able to really personalise learning, we need to know their strengths, their interests, their motivations. We need to know what talents they have. We need to know what their hobbies are. And we need to know where those strengths lie within key learning areas here at school. And, and then when we're teaching, assessing capabilities, that comes together as this great big recipe for the uniqueness of who I am and how I can contribute to this world to make impact. And what we're, uh, you know, and, and students in year nine develop their own personalised online folio of work, but it's not a one size fits all. They do an in, they do an inquiry as to which would best suit them and showcase their talent. So whether it's Wix, whether it's WordPress, whether in one case they've got the language or all the coding language to create their own website, we let them do that. Greg, it um, sounds like such an exciting place to be working at the moment. It's, um, if you'll excuse the analogy, it's, it's, it's almost like a slaughterhouse for the sacred cows of the old school of education. Hearing you talk about formative learning, personalising learning, flipping everything around, putting students in charge of their own learning, um, losing that sort of, sort of prison-like structure of indicative hours in New South Wales. Um, and, and all with a mantra of yes, we can. And, and, and we're talking on the day that we've, you know, we've just received word that uh, uh, the New South Wales Department of Education has banned the use of Zoom in department schools um, for some reason that could only have relevance to somebody else, but certainly not me as we're talking on Zoom and the whole world's using Zoom to communicate right now. Greg, what's the journey been like with your colleagues and can you share a little bit about the type of leadership that it takes to help people have the confidence to feel, yes, we can? Oh, look, in one sense, you're probably better off asking other people, but I can just tell you some actions that we've taken here, you know, both personally and collectively. Um, look, we really keep repeat, repeat, repeat our purpose and our vision. And our vision is 
you know, that we're here to nurture faith-filled, curious children to become creative contributors and innovative problem solvers for a changing world. Now, if that's the vision, we have to ask ourselves, how is the action that we're taking place or how is the action taking place in this learning space at this very time contributing towards that vision? Now, that could be, uh, and it definitely is, the very uh, deliberate practice of teaching a child to read because from reading they become better communicators. It could also be, are we asking ourselves, are we asking our students or providing enough choice for our students and are we honouring that? So uh, that get, means other people coming in to critique our work and to, to look for those chestnuts that do make a pivotal difference. Um, it, it requires some uh, sometimes behind closed doors fairly uh, direct conversations uh, that will uh, see teachers question with us whether what we're doing is honouring that intent uh, because student choice voice and and agency is central to all of this and we need to be ensuring that there's quite a few choices in the way that they go about their work how they produce their work and how they demonstrate their learning and and you know from a personal mantra you surround yourself with people smarter than yourself and that's what i've done um, there are some unbelievable operators here that we've attracted over the years uh, and in turn we've we've had some staff turnover that would indicate that this new way is not for everybody. And, you know, um, I don't think there's been any ill will with staff that have left because, you know, generally they've all left on good terms, but there has been the occasion where the individual has come to the realization, uh, either this is not for me, or what I thought was transformation is not being interpreted the same way by the principal or the college. Uh, and uh, people move on and other people come to us and uh, we've just got to hold the line and we do that with staff. Um, with our parents, we have to hold a line and we're probably starting to get a lot more breakthrough with them being our greatest advocates in the local community. Uh, and, and it's about um, questioning everything. You, we've, we've questioned everything. Doesn't mean we've stopped doing everything associated with the old paradigm because there is research around good practice. Didactic teaching and teacher at the front of the room teaching, it still plays a part of the work we do at St Luke's because it has to. And, and very clear instructional learning led by a teacher is a part of what we do, but it's not the only thing that we do. So there's a balance there that is being maintained. There's a culture that's being built up around it. If I can, Greg, I'd just like to take you to one um, specific aspect of, if you like, the, the, the school of tomorrow, and that's to do with accreditation. Um, the, the late Harvard Business School professor, Clayton Christensen, took his theory of disruptive innovation from the boardroom to the classroom. And then when he talked about online courses, he predicted that online learning would, would radically shift education uh, since then, the US K-12 EdTech market has ballooned to an estimated $7 billion, which is an astronomical amount until you consider how much people are spending right now to keep everything going. Mm -hmm. um, these, are, these, are, these are, you know, they're talking trillions now. That's, yeah. just, that's an unknowable number, really. It is, though, interesting to think about accreditation because accreditation is this sort of monolithic thing. 
And if yeah. we break it down and we start thinking about online learning and micro-credentialed courses, are they the way of the future? Do they have a place in school? You know, should we be micro-badging? Uh, absolutely. There, uh, whether it's uh, micro-credentialing, industry-recognised credentials, uh, you know, my saying about all that is that the, uh, with the online courses, the course at the other end doesn't know how old I am sitting in front of it. So it's around about capability to complete a course. And generally, the interest and the motivation of a student will uh, direct them to make decisions. And I mean, ultimately, we've got to put in place scaffolds of support that enable students to be empowered to make those decisions about their future. And it's not about just pursuing an ATAR on one day at the end of 13 years. It is about, um, in our case, as a part of what we do here, is that you know from the end of year eight, we have every student supported by a life coach and a teacher develop their own purpose statement. Now, it's obviously draft one because our purpose in life can shift throughout. But what we've done is we've drawn together the threads of where their strengths and capabilities lie, where their talents lie, how they've been doing passion projects over year seven and eight to say, well, this is who I am and what I can do. And what that then does is informs, you know, um, a personal design plan for the next two years. And part of that design plan would say, what MOOC can assist you to gain deeper knowledge in this area of interest? What industry credentials out there could you do between year, the end, beginning of year nine and the end of year 10 uh, to set you up so that that can also translate to this folio of evidence about a technical skill that you've now got? Um, what, what would be the digital badge course? And, and look, there's that much out, like Coursera is one that I know a little bit about that um, could provide all sorts of openings. But in the end, we would be trusting the student to seek that out, then coming back and demonstrating when their personal design plan, which is, which is constructed three ways and then finally signed off on the principal, is that the students drive the plan, the teacher scaffolds it and supports it, and the parents have to be in on it. And then we don't have these awkward conversations halfway through year 10 about subject selection in year 11, just because mum or dad want him to be the doctor or the daughter to be a lawyer or whatever it is, we're going to say, well, hang on a sec. We've got a lot more information up until now that would say that your child wishes to pursue this course of learning, which may not even be a HSC or a VCE. It may be uh, a combination of subjects within that, as well as, uh, you know, postgraduate courses that they've already started, a whole host of, you know, uh, industry. So that explosion is happening like all things. It's happening outside of, primary and secondary education were the last to jump on board with it. But in the end, whether we like it or not, we're going to be having to go that way because we've got to be able to set up these students for a post-school life of success and contentment. And that comes back to them pursuing and being in, um, empowered to, to drive their own learning. I want to shift this uh, conversation a little bit, uh, Greg, and thank you for that response uh, because uh, I will say this, I do agree with you that there. The, the sands are shifting and they have been for quite some time. Universities themselves have their own micro-credentialed online courses. I think Sarah is actually Harvard University, is that right? Or is it, or, or Yale, it's one of those. Yeah, um, yeah. And so they've already, re, they've already reimagined their own business model anyway, yeah, you know? Yeah, and and yeah. so they're starting to realise that, that you need these kind of short nano courses to allow people to pivot 
in their careers uh, when needed, why can't that be the same in schools? You know, I mean, I, I don't understand why it couldn't easily translate. And, and you've just given a great example of how that's actually happening in your, in your learning community. So one of the other things you touched upon there was fundamentally about setting them up for, of course, life beyond St. Luke's, mm. life beyond secondary school. And uh, you've, you've spoken a number of times throughout today's uh, chat around this notion of capability skills or, or general capabilities, whichever phrase you, know, you, you want to take on, whether it's Australian curriculum, us in Victoria have a slightly different phrase. Uh, how, how do you think we can ensure that those capability skills remain a priority to all students to thrive in this kind of new world environment, helping them become more resilient and help them to form a range of character attributes that are essential, particularly the character attribute of adaptability. And I suppose yeah. that's one part of the question. And the other is, how does then that link? How does then that link to fostering really good self-regulation and mental and physical wellness kind of practices? Oh yeah, look, there's a lot in what you've just said, Adriano. Um, and and there've been considerations and deliberations that we've been. Uh, wrestling with and and taking on, um, I think, to a fair degree of success over the last three or four years. So, first of all, um, there needs to be a clarity around what a skill, a capability, an attribute, and a disposition is, and and that changes um, depending on uh, where the language is coming from. So. And I, you know, we don't have enough time to sort of like, that's probably a whole uh, day's conversation about the difference between those four. But essentially what um, what we're doing at St Luke's is focusing on the capabilities which we express as our six pillars of learning. So um, because we're a faith-based school, Catholic school, we've got, uh, you know, our ability to witness in the way of Christ, um, to manage ourselves, to relate with others, and they're what we call our three social skills. And those three social skills combined with what we would call the enterprise skills of inquire, think, and create. And then under those six pillars, we have 20 sub-elements across those six pillars. And it's those, and we've got continuums across those sub-elements that over time, whilst this is being, um, uh, so, so, so we've got that framework that's there and we've now got teachers that when they plan and program work within our NESA mandated requirements, because we have to, we make sure that one or two of those, uh, what we call pillar outcomes, are a part of the work. Now, we're only at the very beginning stages of that, but there's a sophistication required to be able to understand where are students at in that continuum. And, you know, the general capabilities, which are now 11 years old now, have done that really well yeah. for us. Have done that really, really well for us. And then there's people, um, you know, Acer have started to go to great steps around the assessing of critical thinking and creativity. Mm -hmm. um, Bill Lucas has been doing work across the globe and has actually pitched to PISA for creative thinking to be a part of the assessment in 2022. Um, yeah. On a local you know there are schools locally here that have been doing this for well beyond St Luke's even started to be even thought of to be around so um, these schools are in front of the game and it's only through doing the work that we learn as we do that work and that's the stage that we're at now so our our 
clear intent is that over time, students can identify patterns through the feedback given to teachers across all the KLAs over a substantial period of time of where my strengths in capabilities lie. So, okay, as a part of, and I'm just trying to think off the top of my hat here, um, you know, there's the relate pillar. So one of those is to know um, and identify the, um, the uh, I'll, I'll stumble and bumble here in a moment, but basically to identify when the emotions in other people and manage is when I manage myself. So through feedback of teachers and sometimes peers over time, that might be identified as a strength or I'll take it a step further, especially in enterprise skills. It might be over time that a young person comes to understand that they have the, they inquire really well when they're working in science and maths, but not quite so well when they're working in the humanities. Now that's a pattern that needs to be pointed out. Do you realize that when working in these spaces, you've got a strength to inquire and ask questions? Uh, do you realize that when working in the creative arts, you do have this great ability to think critically, but why isn't that as strong in the other subjects? Well, it's not necessarily trying to find out your weaknesses. It's really about trying to identify where your strengths lie, because ultimately uh, using our strengths are what sustains our purpose and what sustains us in life. Uh, it's, Greg, it's interesting hearing you talk about the importance of learning by doing the work. And, you know, we've been at Circle, we've been working with you know, hundreds of schools around the world on character and competency and capability and, and all of those sorts of things and helping them develop frameworks, um, all, all of that sort of thing for the past half a dozen years or so now. When you look at the culture of a school that understands its way forward, one of the, one of the starting points is that they realise that not all answers are knowable immediately <laughs> and that you can't just, you, you can't control all of the outcomes, you can't control oh. all of the future, you've got to let go. Yeah. Um, how, 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 how do you teach folk how to let go? How do you teach folk that it's the journey that matters and that you can make mistakes along the way and that, and that failure is a good thing, you know, it, as, as long yeah. as you learn from it? Yeah. Oh, look, one of the things I've said regularly to staff, especially those that are new on board, um, I said, if you're looking to me to know everything, you're misplaced because... In the three, you know, coming up for four years now that I've been in this role, um, I've answered, I don't know. I've used the phrase, I don't know, uh, more in the last four years than I have in the previous 28 I've been in education. So this is a very humbling experience, I can assure you, gents, of, of designing and establishing <laughs> a new home because, honestly, there's more I don't know. And the more that I come to know, the more I realise I don't know. I know that's an old saying, but it's true when... Uh, trying to design and establish a new normal. And and to realise that we at St Luke's don't have a mortgage on this. Um, we're, we're built on the shoulders of giants and we look to others to inform what we do. Um, you know, Adriano, we, we visited uh, Berlin last year and that was a part of a visit and, you know, checking yeah. in with what's happening there and following other people online um, and and just picking up the phone uh, mixing with like-minded people uh, where who <laughs> who remind us that when you stick your neck up and get your head chopped off that it's worth it because there is regrowth in that and we can come back from those times 
where we are in the critical eye of the <laughs> media. And um, we do garner much support from others that are, are treading in this space. So, um, um, yeah, I suppose to answer your question originally is to be humble and to realise that the more we know, the more we realise we don't know. But to have a deep belief, as you said, the journey, what that destination is, I don't know. But I know that, um, you know, that destination is ongoing and it changes by what we know and how we come to know what works best for students. Because after all, it's all about them. And a mandated curriculum, which is anything between 20 and 50 years old, needs to change for their best interests and to respond to the challenges that lay before them. Otherwise, we're not fulfilling our obligation as contemporary educators and leaders. So if, if, if I walk into St Luke's today, what does learning look like? Yeah, it looks like no bells. It looks like sports uniform in kindergarten to year four because we acknowledge that movement's good for students. It looks like two teachers to 60 in a classroom of three square metres where there's choice of furniture for students to work uh, sitting, standing, um, in groups independently. It looks like uh, teachers who have let go some of the controls that needed to be let go it um, so that's that's a beginning point as the students get older yes we do have formal uniform from year five onwards uh, but again it looks like self-paced learning in mathematics and science it's stage-based learning up until year eight it um, involves teachers um, collaboratively planning uh, at different times throughout a day uh, it looks like staff meetings that we don't call them that. We call them um, uh, professional learning. Well, you know, uh, we PLMs, professional learning meetings, but we have a community one once a week, which is K to nine. And then we have a school-based uh, K to four, five to nine, and another time during the week. It, it, and, and the way that the learning takes place at those is modelled by people like myself and other leaders where we do set things up more as inquiry and we don't stand and deliver. So we need to model that. Uh, we're cashless. Uh, we don't have any cash on site. Um, we're pre to post. So we have three to four or five year olds and the leader of that particular entity uh, sits on our campus leaders team so that our five services or four at the moment, high needs comes on site next year are connected. It looks like a building site. It looks, um, uh, at times, there's the, the occasional demandable. We've got great, beautiful buildings, uh, yards that are coming on site. It's, it's flat chat. But most schools are flat chat. Uh, ours just looks different. Why is this work so important to you, Greg? Because we can hear your passion in your voice. <laughs> Sometimes I've got to be careful about that. You know, what is it? You've got to strengthen be a weakness. Um, it, it, it's important for students, Adriana. Like, it... It, it's 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 for them. I, I can't. It's probably something I've got to get better at articulating. But we know that the world is changing. Those changes began twelve, ten years ago with you know iPhones and portability and mobility of of information at anywhere, anytime. And we've been talking about it well for over a decade now. But the model hasn't changed yet. The world has changed in leaps and bounds, and the old industrial model of having ch chairs and desks in rows for students to sit at and look to the front to be you know the one font of information the teacher it's just busted it's broken it 
it, 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 we're not doing enough. We're not agitating enough. We certainly don't get enough uh, voice at the table when politicians are making decisions. And we certainly don't have, we're not proud enough to take on a media that's boxed us into a corner um, that, that has really devalued the role of education and teachers. And we're going to stand up and we've got to take this on. And we need to engage. We're going to make more mistakes in the next 10 years in education than we have in the last 40 because we haven't been prepared to make mistakes. And so the reason why it's important is because we need students to be ready, not so much ready because their life is their life. Life's already started for them. And it's about amending and adjusting our expectations of what, um, valid data and evidence of educational success looks like because it doesn't look like NAPLAN on its own and it doesn't look like ATARS on its own and it doesn't look like HSC results on its own. I want to know as a future employer, I want to know, can this kid manage themselves? Can this young person relate with others? Can they sit around a table and collaboratively solve a problem? Okay, you're saying you can all that. Prove it to me. What have you been doing for the last 13 years at school? Or what are you, in our case, what have you been doing for the last 15 years at St Luke's as a three-year-old? And, you know, we need to develop educational opportunities for our students and structures and scaffolds and supports. I probably prefer scaffolds and supports and structures. But we, we need to enable them to be able to just stand on their own two feet, look people in the eye and say, this is who I am, what I can do. And if you give me the opportunity, I'll work collaboratively with a team to help you solve these problems that are a part of your context or a part of your organisation right now. And I can tell you what, a band moving from a band four to a band five in HSC history is not going to be able to give that proof or evidence for that young person going into post-school life. You know, uh, when Phil and I commenced uh, this particular project of Game Changers, our, our goal, Greg, was to connect with and engage with individuals who are leading and doing schooling differently. And for the last 40 or so minutes, uh, it's been a privilege to be able to sit here and and listen to the passion uh, that you share about what a new tomorrow could really look like. The reality is that we started this conversation with Phil saying that you're already doing the new new normal and the new mainstream. It's a mainstream that has at at its centre our inherent humanness and the skills that we need to be able to navigate going forward. It has informed decision-making. It has creative problem-solving. It has the capacity to to empower young people to be agile and highly adaptive. It has their well-being at the centre. It is so personalised and individualised that issues of self-regulation and mental health and wellness are, are as crucial as helping them develop their kind of cognitive and uh, competence. We, we love the fact that um, you're this passionate, mate, and, and we, we are great champions of yours, and we're going to continue to, to champion the work of St Luke's because student ownership and self-efficacy are going to help them thrive going forward. And, and the key element to that is that you've helped cultivate a staff, passionate staff, who are energised and who are partners in fostering all these things. Instead of it being just done to the kids, they're walking alongside of them and lifting those kids up. Greg, it's been a sheer delight, mate. And we just can't wait to get out and visit you at St. Luke's with our uh, hard hats on during the construction zone uh, to experience everything that's going on there. And uh, we really appreciate your time. No, thanks very much, guys. And um, 
good luck to you as well. And and thanks very much for uh, listening. The passion hopefully hasn't been too over the top. And you know, to to, to preface uh, Stephen uh, Harris over there in Barcelona now in a very new context. Uh, what we're developing here at St Luke's, like a couple of other leading schools in this space, is where we are the emergent mainstream. What we're doing right now is the emergent mainstream. Greg Miller is building a school for tomorrow right now. If you want to know more about his work, um, have a look at uh, gregmiller68.com. We'll have Greg's email details in, email contact details in the description of this episode. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Same here. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.